When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Billboard's Senior Director of Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Happy Grammy Week or Grammy nomination day week thing, Katie. Yes, we had to uh, delay the recording of our show because we needed, the people needed, our reactions <laughs> to the nomination. Did they? Obviously. Did they? Obviously. I guess they did. <laughs> um, and not only that, we've got tons and tons of big, huge, enormous chart news because, you know, the week before Thanksgiving is when everything happens. November is a pop explosion, as always. <laughs> it's a pop explosion, baby. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how... The weekend's record-breaking Blinding Lights single has been crowned the number one Billboard Hot 100 song of all time. How Taylor Swift achieves her 10th number one album on the Billboard 200 with Red, Taylor's version, becoming only the second woman with at least 10 number one albums. Oh, and Swift also tops the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart with the new Red album single, All Too Well. And... Wait, there's more. <laughs> How a certain superstar named Adele is off to a fast start with her 30 album, having already clocked the biggest week of 2021 for any album in just its first four days of release. Also on the show, as we mentioned, on Tuesday, the Grammy nominations were announced for the 2022 show, and we're going to be breaking down the big four categories. Who got nominated? Stay tuned to find out. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up, as Billboard Hot 100 chart manager Gary Trust reports on billboard.com, the weekend's blinding lights shines brightest among the nearly 30,000 titles ever to hit the Billboard Hot 100 over the chart's 63-year history. Whoa. As the single, released in November of 2019, is the newly crowned number one on Billboard's greatest of all time Hot 100 Songs chart. 
That Meanwhile, is so, so wild. Just have to say that's so wild. All those things you just said, 30,000 songs, 63 years. That is wild. It's a popular song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's also that's a heck of a lot of tracks to have appeared on this chart. Yes. And we've charted them all, baby. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the Beatles remain the leading act on the Hot 100 as the Fab Four continues to lead Billboard's greatest of all time Hot 100 artists ranking. They were also number one on every other previous iteration of this greatest of all time Hot 100 chart. Uh, both 100 position charts, which are based on historical performance on the weekly Hot 100 chart, have been updated as of today of this recording, November 23rd, on Billboard.com. The all-time chart was first revealed in 2008 for the Hot 100 chart's 50th anniversary, and then refreshed again in 2013 and 2018 for the 55th and 60th anniversaries of the chart. So Blinding Lights rules the list now for the first time, displacing Chubby Checker's classic single, The Twist, after logging a record-shattering run on the weekly Hot 100. Blinding Lights topped the chart for four weeks, went on to break the record for the most weeks in the top five, in the top 10, and in the top 40, and on the chart overall with a whopping 90 weeks on the list. Uh, I joked on Instagram this morning that... Uh, this song, which you probably hear on a daily basis, probably without even trying, is now the biggest song of all time, at least on the Hot 100 charts. Um, yes, and don't please don't miss the Billboard cover story, an interview with The Weeknd. That too. It's all about blinding lights and also what he has coming up next, written by our very own Haran Mamo, and we are very excited for her and for the story. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, it's 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 also kind of incredible where people, I, I you know never go into the comments on social media, but I did. <laughs> I was looking at I was looking at um, Billboard charts on Instagram posted the top ten songs, the excerpt of the top ten because you can see the whole top one hundred on Billboard.com. But you know how social media works; people only look at just the picture or the tweet, and they don't read anything or click on a link to actually get the context of it. So a lot of the comments were like, WTF, what's this? This is the weirdest list of things. And, you know, <laughs> and occasionally, and occasionally, because, you know, like it's Blinding Lights followed by The Twist, and there's Mac the Knife in the Top Ten by Bobby Darin, and How Do I Live by Leanne Rimes, and... You is, know, is Billboard high? What, what is this list? What, and, you know, what ties these things together? The Hot 100 right. is what ties them all together. And it's interesting where you see, um, you know, there's there's folks, there's commenters who respond to people who have legitimate questions going, what the hell is this list? I don't understand. Like, what are all these weird songs that are like incongruously like sitting next to one another? Uh. And it's like. It's literally just those songs that performed the best on this particular chart. It is not a quality ranking. It is not an editorial ranking. It is not things is, that hit number one. It is a literal popularity contest is what it is. Yes. It's like <laughs> y'all made these songs popular every week in, how, in, in, in the various metrics that we use to make this chart every week. So if you're upset that, you know, 
Blinding Lights is number one or How Do I Live is in the top 10, well, then you'd be pissed off at the American public for making those songs popular for so long over such a long amount of time on the Hot 100 chart. <laughs> if you want to get mad, get mad at the Grammy nominations we're about to talk about. <laughs> Wait for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get mad over something that you absolutely have no control exactly. over. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we still have more chart news, yes. Katie. Um, next up on the uh, Billboard 200 and Hot 100 chart, Taylor Swift doubles up at number one as her new Red Taylor's version debuts atop the Billboard 200, while the album's single All Too Well arrives at number one on the Hot 100. Both are re-recordings of the Red album and its All Too Well album cut, both of which were released initially in 2012. So Red Taylor's version is Taylor's 10th number one album on the Billboard 200, which makes her just the second woman with at least 10 number one albums in history, following Barbra Streisand, who also, oop, who has 11, mm-hmm. not also, because Taylor doesn't have 11 yet. yet. Meanwhile, All Too Well is Swift's eighth number one on the Hot 100. Now, buckle up, folks. This gets kind of complicated, but it's important. The track was available via two versions, a 5-minute and 29-second standard version, and a 10-minute and 13-second version, both of which are combined into one listing on Billboard's charts. The song's original 5-minute and 29-second version from 2012 is tracked separately. All of the original versions of Taylor's re-recordings are all tracked separately for charting purposes. Yes. So, Red, Taylor's version, the album, earned 605,000 equivalent album units in the United States in the week ending November 18th, according to MRC data. And of that sum, 369,000 were in album sales, a number that was enhanced by the album's availability simultaneously on vinyl LP, CD, and digital download. Plus, Swift offered a signed CD of the album in her web store, and she also sold it via independent record stores. So certainly that was a hot seller. Indeed. As for All Too Well, it starts with 54.4 million U.S. streams and 58,000 downloads sold in the U.S., but less than 300,000 in airplay audience impressions of course, all this is for the week ending November 18th. So basically, this was a streaming phenomenon, sold pretty well, radio didn't play it a, a gosh darn bit. I will say one last thing, because people have been asking about this. Um, all Too Well was supported by not just its normal 5-minute and 29-second version, Taylor's version, and the... 10 minute and 13 second version, but also clean and acoustic versions of the 10 minute version and a nine minute and 58 second version that was dubbed the Sad Girl Autumn version recorded at Long Pond Studios. All of those versions were combined for chart purposes. Yeah. By the way, this is very normal. Whenever anyone puts out remixes, live versions, acoustic versions, they generally all combine together. Almost every artist does this in every week of the year. This is no different, but it's Taylor Swift, so a lot of people happen to notice things like this. A lot more attention, yeah. Lastly, 
Adele's 30 has captured the biggest week of 2021 for any album in the U.S., surpassing the debut of Drake's certified lover boy. According to initial reports from MRC Data, or to MRC Data, I should say, 30 has earned more than 660,000 equivalent album units in the U.S. from its November 19th release through November 22nd, with over 560,000 of that sum in traditional album sales. In terms of weekly units earned, 30 has now beaten the debut week of Certified Loverboy, which launched with 613,000 units back in September. 30 is also the year's top-selling album, which means its sales in just four days has already surpassed the sales of any album over the past 11 months combined, and it already has the year's largest week for any album in terms of just plain old traditional album sales in a single week, beating the debut of Taylor Swift's Red Taylor's <laughs> version, which just sold 369,000 copies. Uh, so will 30 debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart next week, Katie? Uh, hmm. And let us remind everybody that these two albums were potentially going to share a release date. So I'm glad everybody. <laughs> That's right. I'm glad everybody spread out a little bit to give everyone a little shine because clearly these were the back to back two largest selling albums of the year. It's interesting, you know, with with the way 30s um, sort of progression is so far where 30 is at, you know, over 660,000 units in its first four days. And, you know, Taylor was whatever number I said, 605,000. I mean, it's not like they're neck and neck, but it's they're not terribly far away from one another no. right now. I no. mean, we'll see how the whole week shakes out, but um, well, and it's golly, especially it's good that they split up. considerable. Like when you think about you know the numbers that Fearless, um, the re-recording Taylor's version, put up in the spring were much less than this. It's like Red became like a cultural moment and you know competed with the literal biggest album of 2021 which we all knew it was going to be Adele's 30 it's like you know hanging in with it which is crazy because it's a re-recording of an album we already know and love so yeah, well we'll see how we'll, we'll see how um Red Taylor's version performs as the weeks go by if yeah. it's kind of like a, a one or two week phenomenon for sort of hardcore Swifties or if this has legs beyond the first week and maybe it could considering you know there are a lot of new kind of from the vault songs that people have never heard before that they're taking to radio that they're making videos for so maybe this album could have a life beyond but, you know the then adele's got her chris stapleton uh collaboration too on the version of easy on me that he's on that's going to country radio alongside taylor swift's version of i bet you think about me featuring chris stapleton also being delivered to country radio so yeah. I can't I can't I can't wait to see Adele and Taylor Swift both on the country airplay chart with a Chris Stapleton <laughs> yes. track. Maybe together. we could get a country hit with Chris Stapleton. <laughs> Maybe everyone should just ask for Chris Stapleton and, you know, put a country song together. Sure. It only makes it better. So <laughs> and now it's time to talk about the 2022 Grammy nominations. They were unveiled on Tuesday morning via a live stream star-studded live stream not sure if you tuned in keith but I, I watched most of it yeah so we i mean we had billy eilish and phineas announcing categories bts announced categories john batiste even john batiste even announced a few categories and then proceeded to get God 11 
11 nominations this morning. I, I, I love the way that the Recording Academy gives John Batiste all of the Latin categories <laughs> to get through. And he he did a, a pretty great job trying to pronounce everyone's names. We actually and interviewed I think as, him. Billboard did after he okay. after it came out that he had the 11 nominations. And he said, it's really important to me that people get names right and like a culturally significant thing that people get names right. So he put a lot of care into that. He, he, I mean, he gave Selena Gomez's name the most flair I've ever heard. <laughs> Selena Gomez and I think is a as Grammy a reward, They're now. like, we're going to give you 11 nominations just because you muddled through that. That was Selena Gomez's first Grammy nomination, by the way. And Wait, it was? Yes, ever. She is now a Grammy nominee as of today. It was for uh, a Latin, Latin pop? album. Pop, Latin pop album. Yeah, Latin pop album. Yes. How incredible that Selena Gomez's first Grammy nomination comes via a Latin category. It's it's in, indeed incredible knowing her her history. But we digress. We've gotten yeah, okay, we've sorry. already been waylaid and we haven't even started talking about the big four categories. So we thought we would focus in on these ones because obviously Keith and I are incapable of focusing in. So let's let's start <laughs> with record of the year. And I'm going to start this one out by um, the reading out the nominate nominations, um, which, by the way, surprise, surprise, there are 10 nominees in all of these big four categories for the first time ever um, expanded from eight last year. Which Everyone itself, gets a nomination. Yeah, seriously, which itself was expanded from five in previous years. So um, so 10 is you know, literally double what it used to be. Um, so starting with record of the year, which of course uh, is awarded to the artist and the producer, recording engineer and or mixer and mastering engineers. Uh, that is a lot of people. It's not as many people as uh, album of the year. We'll get to that. Um, first one up. Let's just start off with like, whoa, ABBA, I still have faith in you. Nominated for record of the year. That's just wow. Our- are we reacting to that? Or are we going to go through all the lists? Are we going to go through all the nominees? I first? can go through the list, but I'm just going to say Keith okay. did tell me that was their first nomination, first Grammy nomination. It's their first ever. nomination ever. Kind of like how we were talking about them setting records on our charts recently. It's crazy. They're having a year. Um, continuing, uh, "Freedom" from John Batiste. I get a kick out of you from Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. "Peaches" from Justin Bieber, featuring Daniel Caesar and Giveon. Right on Time from Brandy Carlisle. Kiss Me More from Doja Cat featuring SZA. Happier Than Ever from Billie Eilish. Montero, Call Me By Your Name from Lil Nas X. Driver's License from Olivia Rodrigo. And Leave the Door Open from Silk Sonic. Okay, so. so Ava. <laughs> well, yeah, Ava. No, well, one. Go, Keith, go. Uh, many questions. So I know there's a story on Billboard.com. I think Paul Grine wrote it about why there's now 10 nominations. I didn't read it. What's the answer? Okay, so he did an interview with Harvey Mason Jr., who is the CEO of the Recording Academy. And they said adding new nominees to these categories is a way to cast a wider net to make room for more artists and genres from music's expansive and diverse landscape and to embrace the spirit of inclusion. So the answer is they just want to make people happier, <laughs> more cool. people happy. Well, I because I thought I'm like, did they expand it to 10 because numbers nine and 10 on the list were actually two like really sexy 
and as we know and as we know the nomination review committees were disbanded this year and so those nine and ten are important because those could have been boosted up into the top eight previously but now there's no secret sauce committee to do that right right yeah for what we're talking about is that there used to be a committee previous to this year that would take the top vote the top vote getters for the big four categories and basically kind of select who they thought the nominees should be among like they would I think it's something like they looked at like maybe the top 20 I top, it was it was the top 20 and then they would pick the final eight like they would actually take the eight so like technically like if there was like the act previous to this year the literal top eight vote getters were not always necessarily the things that would be the final nominations right because the the committee would take among the top 20 and basically handpick what they thought would be the correct <laughs> nominations. And I think there was a f- there was a concern, at least in my head, I'm thinking this is either going to give us this year's list, like for these 10 nominees for record of the year, I thought it's either going to be a incredibly pure popular, like super popular list of just like really obvious, like number one chart topping t- type things, or it might careen off into the other direction where it's going to be a lot of old sort of traditional folks like maybe Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett type things or, you know, a Herbie Hancock album out of the blue. When I see this entire list, including ABBA, it seems like it's a really well-rounded list that has kind of the Grammy faves, like the Brandy Carlisle's, the John Batiste, the Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett's, sort of cool young folks like Olivia Rodrigo, Little Nas X, Billie Eilish, Doja Cat, um, you know, some obvious kind of big commercial things like Justin Bieber and Silk Sonic. Of course, Silk Sonic and Bruno Mars are very kind of obvious Grammy catnip things. And then a really fun curveball in a, a track by ABBA. So this is a, a really cool list right am i crazy you're not crazy i think that abba is the one that if there were nomination review committees i'd wonder if that would have been weeded out potentially just because it seems weird but now we know or weeded in and now we know that it was the popular vote that got it there which is wacky so now we know that that grammy voters maybe are sort of wacky (laughs) also wacky that 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 track ABBA, this is the only nomination for it. It didn't make the cut in the pop duo group category. There's a few examples like that um, Paul pointed out in uh, in his uh, reporting. Yeah, it's it's um, it is. You're right about it being it having a selection of each of those things that you expect from the Grammys. So in, in that, you know what, you're kind of talking me into this list. I, well, oh, I was, you weren't you weren't really digging it. Well, I thought there was I was. I was think I was focusing too hard on the curveballs and not paying attention to the fact that there are wildly popular and com- like commercially and critically acclaimed things in here as well. I mean, it'd be nice if there was like maybe a more core hip hop rap track in here. Right. I mean, that's there, where but- that's the kind of thing like where that the nomination committee might have stepped in for sure. Right. They could have stepped in and said, OK, we're going to put in like Hurricane by Kanye or something. So, yeah. do you? Speaking of Kanye, would you like to uh, helm the album of the, album of the year category? Yeah. Uh, so the album of the year award goes to the artist and to the featured artists, songwriters of new material on the album, 
producers, recording engineers, mixers, and mastering engineers, which means that some of these albums, if they win, could actually have anywhere between 200 and 300 people on stage at the same time. There is These lists in front of us right now are bonkers. So Keith, when, maybe just tell us the album titles. <laughs> how about that? Um, so there's We Are by John Batiste, Love for Sale by Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, Justice, the Triple Chucks Deluxe Edition yeah. by Justin Bieber, Planet Her Deluxe by Doja Cat, and the deluxe versions for both of those basically are later reissued versions of the album that had additional songs and tracks tacked onto them. Yeah, um, That's actually kind of a common th thread through a lot of categories this year, a lot of deluxe albums. After Planet Her, we have Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, Back of My Mind by Her, Montero by Lil Nas X, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo, Evermore by Taylor Swift, and Donda by Kanye West. Setting, Pretty... up, setting up another Kanye Taylor award show showdown? <laughs> I mean, it, it, does Taylor just win this every time? I mean... I, I don't know. I, I think that Folklore was more, more universally beloved than Evermore. I think ever, people liked Evermore, but maybe didn't think it was as significant as Folklore. Maybe because Folklore had come before it. Um, right. I think, I think Sour has a really good chance here, personally. Um... I think this is a pretty this is a pretty good category. Her has gotten a lot of album of the year nominations at this point because <laughs> she got nominated for, EPs, for like yes, compilations. Yes, yes, and they she's just released, like to she's released her like in there. What, two albums and she's had four album of exactly, the year nominations. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and you know, here are Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga again. You mentioned like them being in the record of the year category. Um, I, Paul wrote in one of his articles that. When they officially they originally adopted nomination review committees, a lot of it had to do with Tony Bennett's unplugged album. Was it winning or just being nominated for album of the year? I think it won winning. Yeah, it won. And so it's interesting now that the year that they come out of the nomination review committee, Tony Bennett is once again nominated for album of the year because Tony Bennett is beloved as is Lady Gaga. And I could see a lot of people a lot of potentially older voters putting a vote there as like a, you know, as like a Tony Bennett vote because he's great and it's like and, a lifetime achievement and, award. And this is ostensibly his, his final album. Right. Um, he, he said that it, that it, that's the plan. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, everyone knows about his sort of, um, uh, his, his, uh, health issues, mm -hmm. health Alzheimer's, issues, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's diagnosis. And the fact that this album, it was basically pushed forward a little bit in order to, I don't know if it was in order to, but it came out early on a couple formats in order to be released in time for consideration for the Grammy Awards. For this very reason. And here we are. A, a and it worked. A few months later, it worked. Yeah. Um, Should we move but, on to to the next? Or did you have something else with album of the year? I, I was just going to say to me, this this looks like a well-rounded group of nominees i mean maybe maybe i'm also crazy but you have hip-hop you've got pop you've got some sort of old guard you have some cool young acts i, I mean you have like a curveball and john batiste i mean i don't know 
Anyway, yeah, John Batiste is this year's official curveball in, in all corners. But um, also, John Batiste is pretty freaking cool in general. He's great. So, and know. I should also mention that lower, you know, down in the non big four categories, he also worked on the music of um, the Disney Pixar movie Soul. So some of these 11 nominations have to do with that and not just his solo work getting nominated. Because 11 nominations is pretty, you know, significant and sounds crazy, but it's like the breadth of his work um, this year. So yep. let's move on to Song of the Year, um, which is a songwriter award. And the first nominee is Bad Habits, which is performed by Ed Sheeran and written, co-written by Ed Sheeran. A Beautiful Noise, which is performed by Alicia Keys and Brandi Carlisle. And they also co-wrote it with a group. Uh, Driver's License, which is uh, from Olivia Rodrigo. She co-wrote it with her producer, Daniel Negro. We have Fight For You, which is from her and also co-written by her. We have Happier Than Ever from Billie Eilish, which was co-written by Billie Eilish and Phineas. We have Kiss Me More from Doja Cat and featuring SZA, and they are both listed as co-writers as well. We have Leave the Door Open from Silk Sonic, and uh, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack are listed as co-writers on that. We have Montero, Call Me By Your Name from Lil Nas X, who is a co-writer of that as well. And we have Peaches from Justin Bieber featuring Daniel Caesar and Givian. They are all listed as co-writers, as well as previous podcast guests, Watt. Uh, and 11 co-writers on that track. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? We heard Watt talk to us about how that song kind of came it. together, right. and it sounded Go like it was by... Go and listen to how they made the song. It was by committee, and here's the committee, and they're being, they're being awarded. And then the final nominee is Right on Time from Brandi Carlisle, of course, co-written by Brandi Carlisle, as well as Dave Cobb, and her twin backup guitarist, the Hanseroths. <laughs> so, so Randy Carlisle is a double nominee in this category. That is correct, including wow. the Alicia Keys song. Yes, I believe Good that Alicia Keys song is Alicia Keys featuring Brandy Carlisle. So one time as a lead artist and one as a featured artist, but a co-writer on both. So did Brandy did Brandy Carlisle's album not come out in time for the Grammys? That's Maybe a good question. Didn't. Maybe just the lead single right on time came out. I think that must possible. have. Because otherwise, clearly she would have been a shoe in for album of the year. That's fair. Been. That's fair. Um, I mean, this is an interesting category. It doesn't look it, it looks very similar to record of the year as it traditionally does. But then sometimes you see kind of more songwriter angled type tracks. You know what here. shocks me the most in this one is actually Kiss Me More, which great song. But that is such a record. I mean, that's it's it's a great recording. It's about the production. About the the production. Yeah. So that one that is the one that sticks out to me because I actually I, I really like Happier Than Ever. And uh, as always, Billy and, and Phineas kill it in songwriting. So that one doesn't surprise me as much. Montero, such a personal topic. Um, you know, Peaches is interesting as a songwriter award, but it's such a great song. I have no you know issue with that. But yeah, the Kissy Moore kind of popped out to me in this one. Driver's license feels like a like a lock to me in this one personally. It, it does. It does kind of feel like. Well, we'll get into the next category where it 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 feels like there's someone who will is kind of a lock. <laughs> there is the someone category. looming in. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Why don't you go ahead and read those? So the, the the final the fourth and final of the big four is best new artist. The category recognizes an artist whose eligibility year release or releases. 
achieved a breakthrough into the public consciousness <laughs> and notably impacted the musical landscape. Ooh. It's a very squishy category. Yes, it is. Basically, there's a there's some squishy of deciding, nominees up in here too, but there always some are. Nominees. <laughs> okay, so there's um, I guess there's ten nominees. Yes. Yep. So Aruj Aftab. Yes, great uh, article on Billboard. Artist. Yep, great article on Billboard.com. Five interesting facts about uh, Rouge. Um, I learned a lot personally. Uh, Jimmy Allen, country artist. Uh, Baby Keem, Phineas, Glass Animals, Japanese Breakfast, The Kid Leroy, Arlo Parks, Olivia Rodrigo, and Saweetie. This is definitely Olivia's category to lose. She feels pretty obvious. I mean, even like the year Billie Eilish felt sort of obvious, she was up against Lizzo. And so it wasn't like that was not a lock. Like, I don't know who I don't think there is a Lizzo for Olivia in this category. I think that she stands pretty much alone here. And when I said squishy nominees, uh, just to not be coy, I'm speaking of Phineas, um, who's already won like an thirty Grammys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he he is a winner as a producer and as a songwriter alongside Billy, and has yet to win an award as a performer or as an artist. And so, I mean, artist is an interesting word, but performer, we'll say. Um, and so that's why he's here. This is it's surprising to me. I I don't think that um, he actually has had that breakthrough moment as an artist performer to me, like as a lead artist. Um, Maybe that's from coming from the, you know, charts world that we come from. Like he just hasn't had that success anywhere close to what Billy has had. Um, So that's interesting. Jimmy Allen actually just won Best New Artist at the CMA Awards um, a couple weeks ago. And I remember thinking then this man has been around forever. But he did have a real breakthrough year But when he was talking about it. I mean, I think he, he's in his late 30s and he has been kicking around Nashville for like 15 years. And I mean, so he's practically dead. He's practically dead in Nashville terms. But no. Um, so it, it, Best New Artist is always a fun one to debate. But it feels <laughs> like Olivia is a pretty prime example of somebody who made their splashy debut in this year, 2021. And has made all of her impact from January until now and absolutely like has dominated the game. And so it it just feels like a no brainer. Yeah. If ever if ever there was like a perfect kind of like perfect pedigree for a best new artist winner, it's Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Uh, Where there's like no question of, well, I mean, you know, she's been around for a while. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Fountains of Wayne have been releasing music for 15 years, but they're very, they're still Shelby Lynn, you know, she's (laughs) on her 18th album. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. There's no, there's no questions, no questions with Olivia for sure. Um, Um, Keith, I'm so happy we talked because I feel like just our record of the year conversation totally like turned the tides for me a little bit where I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. They did a pretty good job. <laughs> Katie and I haven't talked about we this haven't. at all until now. So I didn't realize that you were like feeling down on the, the nomination. Not down, but like I think, like I said, I was focusing on the like out of left field nominees instead of focusing on like what they got right. And there's a lot right. And it's probably because of it being a popular vote. And so, you know, I think I'm that looking- they got the popular people right in these categories. Should I I'll wrap this up by saying that the Grammys are airing January 31st uh, live from the Staples Center. Just 
which will then be the crypto.com arena. So, you know, get ready to mentally no, prepare for that. Um, uh, you know, Keith says, no, it won't. Not not on our podcast. It won't. Um, <laughs> not which, in Los Angeles. And I want to just mentally prepare you also for the fact that that is a Monday night, which is a wacky night for an award show. So um, but you know what? It's a work day. We're happy that that's <laughs> we're working on a work day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. Is this be- now? Have they said why? Is it because the Winter Olympics are airing around the same time? That's a good or question. Like that? I, that's a good question. I do not know the answer to that. I do not. Usually, if 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 the Grammys are on some like if they've pushed it back or it's on a weird day instead of a Sunday, it's usually because either the Super Bowl, the Oscars, or the Olympics have gotten in the way. Yeah, and the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, are this are this January. That I believe. feels likely then. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Earlier in the show, we mentioned how the Beatles remain the top Hot 100 artist of all time on our greatest of all time recap that we did. Katie, can you name the first and most recent Hot 100 hit for the Fab Four of Paul, John, Ringo and George? So not their first number one, just the first song to ever chart on the Hot 100? Their first their first song to ever chart and their final or most recent song to ever chart new song well okay why don't we start with the latter just because i feel like i might have a shot at this maybe um i i'm gonna go with um i'm gonna go with free as a bird for the most recent very close it's the next thing that came out was it real love is that what it was called real Real love Love. yeah from the one compilation nope close from it was on Anthology 2. Oh, okay. Well, my like, my family oh. had all of those albums, so... Yeah, Real, Real Love was re- re- debuted on the Hot 100, dated March 23rd, 1996, and it debuted and peaked at number 11. So sad it missed the top 10. Wow, that that's a huge... That's a But that's a huge debut, though, number 11. Yeah. it's It was one of two songs that the Beatles, at the time, the Living Beatles, uh, Paul, Ringo, and George... Uh, put together that used existing uh, material from John Lennon, who had passed away, of course, many years earlier. Uh, Free as a Bird came out before that. It debuted at number 10 back in 1995 and peaked at number six. Nice. So, what, of course, though, though, Katie, what was the very first single from the Beatles to chart? Well, can I ask one question? Um, was it an original song many. or was it a cover? You know how they came out with so many covers, like, at the beginning? It. It's it's an original. Okay, I'm just I'm gonna go with I want to hold your hand. You are correct, yes. Katie. <laughs> I want to hold your hand. Debuted on the January 18th, 1964, Hot 100, and went on to spend seven weeks at number one. It was their first number one single. So Keith, I don't know. I don't talk about this much because I feel like it's such a basic opinion. But like the Beatles are my everything like i i literally don't talk about it because of their they're everybody's everything right isn't that the whole thing that they're the most popular hot 100 artists of all time i mean i i i mean maybe they are but you know it doesn't mean that we can't talk about them maybe it's like because i feel like everybody likes them i don't need to like declare it's not like a hot take for me to say how much i love the beatles so anyway i just fyi put well, it out in the public i will ask you as a noted Beatles fan and maybe this will stump you is there like one or two or three studio albums from the Beatles that if no one's ever listened to a Beatles album before putting aside their greatest hits albums because obviously go get the one album that's a no-brainer 
But of their studio albums, is there one or two or three that you think, oh, like that's the ones you should start off with if you want to get into the Beatles? I'm, I'm happy you asked, Keith. My first, my, my first answer, <laughs> my first answer is the White Album, only because that's where I came in. This is a double album, and uh, I definitely favored the first uh, disc of the two, and listened to it all the time. And some of my favorite songs by the Beatles of all time are on that album, um, like "While well, My Guitar Gently Weeps," for instance, and then. Um, Happiness is a warm gun, also a favorite. Okay, so then I would move along to Abbey Road, my second favorite. Um, and I think it probably would be my first favorite if I had listened to it first. You know, it's just that mm-hmm. I got I got to the White Album first. And then Rubber Soul would be my answer for, like, the one where they kind of make the transition from the, the, you know, teen pop to the more, like, kind of psychedelic sound. It's, like, sort of both there. They're straddling it. It's sort of like Red Taylor, Red Taylor's version <laughs> Where she's straddling the country in pop worlds. This is where the Beatles kind of, you know, went from like teen rock to more like adult rock. It's kind of where my it's the one my parents both like a lot. My mom loved the early Beatles best and my dad liked the late Beatles best. So that's those are my answers. Oh, the tracks on it. Well, for the original North in my life is probably the most popular from Rubber Soul, right? Well, it, it depends. I mean, it looks like there was an original North American release, and hmm. then it was later reissued in all markets except North America. Hmm. So I really don't know. Norwegian but like Michelle Wood, was on there. Drive my Norwegian car. Wood. Um, I, it it seems like though. Norwegian Wood a is a of... good example, Keith. Like the the sitar use in Norwegian Wood, hmm. like that was real funky for the time. Like, that was a really, like, distinct choice. And they're like, whoa, what are the Beatles doing? It was 1965. And that was because of George Harrison's interest in, you know, Indian music and hanging out with Ravi Shankar and all this sort of stuff. And it's like they just started being a little more weird and a little more experimental, just kind of like the times that they were in. Also, you know, they just yeah, this, they stopped this... the clean cut thing and went a little more like hippie psychedelic. I mean, this album was the one that came after Help. Yes. Which was very sort of traditional Beatles pop. sound. Exactly. Pop, pop. And then the next album after this one was Revolver. Um, which, which was continued... very, very rock. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. That's, yeah. a, that's interesting. Yeah. And you didn't even name Sgt. Pepper's. I love Sgt. Pepper's. Kind of but like yeah. there's so many good albums. Like what am I supposed to say? There's like they're all good. But those are my three personal choices at like i said mm-hmm. abbey road is the one that like gun to my head you told me i had to listen to one album for the rest of my life it might be abbey road so yeah uh, what, what a tough thing when someone has to it's like you're okay you're, you know what you're gonna have to listen to the beatles for the rest of your life i'm like all right fine <laughs> if you make me <laughs> okay so we've reached the end of our big shoe uh katie any parting words in this uh supersized episode it's super sad. It's Grammy week, right? Like, or it's not really Grammy week. It's Grammy nominations week. Grammy week's still in front of us. Um, it's just the, the, the prelude. I mean, should we, do we, are we going to go out on a Beatles song after all that talk? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it'd be cruel if we didn't, Katie. <laughs> um, let's, let's do Michelle. Uh, you mentioned Michelle from Rubber Soul. That's such a pretty song. Let's go with that one. All right. Uh, we'll go out on that, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Michelle